Well, this morning we are shifting gears and I'm beginning a new series. And what we're going to be doing is taking a look at one of the major narrative themes in Scripture that describes who God is and how we respond to the call of God in our lives. It's a two-word phrase that's in the Bible over a thousand times to weave the thread of God's providence and grace into our lives. I am. It begins in the Old Testament with the call of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And the words are picked up in the call of Isaiah as Isaiah responds to God. And of course, we will work our way into how Jesus picks up on this name and in beautiful metaphors speaks about himself in things like I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. And so today we're going to start with the call of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Hear the word of our Lord. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Then the cry of the Israelites has, has now come to me. I've also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What am I to say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, this, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And then from Psalm 8, we actually spoke about this not too long ago. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark for, because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You've given them dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. 
When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've established them, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? There are all sorts of theories as to why humans look to the heavens. We can all remember a point in our lives where somebody instructed us to cut a pinhole in a box and to gaze upon the moon taking its position in front of the sun, an eclipse. You know, they don't happen often. It happened a few years ago. And we all stopped working for a few minutes to see and say that we witnessed the eclipse. But I'm guessing there is more to it than a rare celestial event. Human creatures have always gazed to the heavens. We are coming into the fall, and when the harvest moon arises in the sky, appearing twice its size, we all stand in awe. We make our way to our vacation down the shore and force ourselves to awake, to watch the sun rise over the Atlantic. It happens every day like clockwork, but we like to just say that we saw it ourselves, or a shooting star, or the appearance of Jupiter or Saturn or Mars draws our gaze to the heavens. And I remember standing with my children when they were little, pointing to the reflection of one of a billion planets in our galaxy that we could see with our naked eye. You know, there is something about the heavens that draws our gaze. Maybe it's the enormity of it. The endless universe which is still expanding, the fact that our little sun in the Milky Way is one of 200 billion stars. And the Milky Way galaxy is only one of likely between 100 and 200 billion galaxies. You know, it's a pretty big universe. And maybe it's the vastness of all that that shocks us so greatly to consider what might be behind all of that. Something that big must have something significant behind it, or within it, or before it, or at the end of it. And it's this experience of transcendence that quickens our spirits. It may be a little bit of what we mean when we call ourselves spiritual. This quickening that is inside of us that when we consider our little role in the vastness of the universe, it's then that we can understand the psalmist's question. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are mortals that you would consider us? What are human beings that you are mindful of us? Who am I, God, that you would think of me? You know, spirituality is when we ask that question and we try to connect the dots up in the sky with this little dot down here on the earth. What are human beings that you are mindful of us? Who am I, God, that you would think of me? It's pretty much the same question that Moses has for God when he has his transcendent moment. Moses isn't looking into the light of the sky, rather he's looking into the light of this bush that doesn't stop burning. Talk about something that doesn't happen too often. And it's in his gaze that he hears something. He hears the voice of God speaking to him. The voice that speaks to him calls him and names him and tells him that he is the one who is going to save his people. He is the one who's going to deliver the Israelites from the bondage of slavery. Now Moses has been trying to mind his own business out in the wilderness. He ran there because he killed an Egyptian, but now this voice tells him that there is business that needs to be done. 
you have to go back to Egypt. And Moses asks the psalmist's question, who am I? Who am I? In the vastness of the universe, in the enormity of the world, who am I? And what business do I have in confronting Pharaoh and rescuing the Israelites? That's a fair question. It doesn't take much for us to understand that we are a small speck in this grand scheme of things, that no one person amounts to that much. It's like the man who went to the psychiatrist complaining of an inferiority complex. And so the psychiatrist runs a few tests, and a couple of weeks later, the man comes back, and the psychiatrist says, I've got good news and bad news for you. The good news is that there is no sign of a complex. The bad news is that you're inferior. It doesn't take much in this world to, in our view of the universe, to understand how small that we are. Who am I, Moses asks, because he doesn't really think he's that much. The task is just too big and he's too small and God responds. You know, sometimes it's important to see what God doesn't say. God doesn't say, well, I checked your college GPA. He doesn't say, I'm impressed with your resume. He doesn't run a credit check on us. The only, God, the only answer that God has for Moses when he asks his question, who am I? Is God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. You are who you are because the great I am is with you. You are who you are because God has breathed life into you. You are who you are because God knit you together in your mother's womb. You are who you are because God made you a little lower than God. And God puts that fire that burns inside each one of you. God says, I am with you. I will always be with you. Now you gotta love Moses. This voice from the burning bush, this voice of God promising to be with him, it's not enough for Moses. Good answer, Moses says, but I got a follow-up question. Who are you? What's your name? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And I am who I am because that's as much as you're going to understand right now. I am who I am because the rest is mystery and holiness far too great for you to take in. I am who I am because the universe with its 200 billion galaxies and each galaxy has 200 billion stars is not big enough to contain me. I am who I am and suffice it to say, I am with you. And the voice that you hear inside of your head and the voice that you wonder is coming from somewhere beyond the stars or the voice that is coming from the bush, well, best you do something about it. How cool is it that, God, that the same God that created the mountains and the oceans and the galaxies also created you and thought the world needed one of you too? So when you hear the voice from the stars or the voice from the fire, or the voice of your dreams, or the voice from your conscience. Maybe it's the voice of God telling you that God is with you and that God has a plan for you. Long before Providence was the name of a city in Rhode Island, it actually had a theological meaning. 
that God continually has everything under control. And God is working everything out. And that God calls God's people to play a part. And assures us by saying, I am who I am and I am with you. Let's get on with the purpose of the universe. It's what happened to Meriwether Lewis. Stephen Ambrose chronicles it in his book, Undaunted Courage. The moment when Lewis and his companions with Lewis and the Clark expedition reached a point beyond which no white man had ever gone. They're on the Missouri River, just beyond Fort Manden. They are entering a completely new territory and Lewis was now stepping into the unknown heart of darkness. Deserts, mountains, great cataracts, Indian tribes, he couldn't imagine them because no American had ever seen them. But far from causing apprehension or depression, the prospect brought out his fullest talent. He knew that from now on until he reached the Pacific and returned, he would be making history. He was exactly what Jefferson wanted him to be. Optimistic, prudent, alert to all that was about him. His ambition westbound was just about complete. He couldn't contemplate failure. Lewis had come to a point that he had longed and dreamed for all of his life. He was ready, intensely alive, and he stepped forward into paradise. You know, I wonder if paradise is when we look at the heavens and we somehow make the connection between the purpose of the universe and the purpose of our lives. I wonder if paradise is when we entertain that little voice in the back of our heads that's attempting to arrest and send us. Philip Brooks, the composer of A Little Town of Bethlehem wrote, that'll be the day when for every man, when he becomes absolutely contented with the life that he's living, with the thoughts that he's thinking, with the deeds that he's doing, when there is not forever beating at the door of his soul some great desire to do something larger, which he knows that he was meant for and made to do because he's still in all a child of God. Who am I, Moses asks. Who am I, we ask. And God says you are a child of God and God's got work to do through you. And God says, I am with you. Philip Carrier writes in his book, Good News for Anxious Christians. It's very little reason for you and I to be anxious for when it comes time to try to figure out what God's will for our lives is. Because God has already told us from the prophets and through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that God's will for our lives is to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God, to love God and to love our neighbor. That's the game plan. That's been the way since the beginning of the universe. When the voice of God calls, we go. When the voice of justice calls, we go. When kindness calls, we go. When humility calls, we go. When love calls, we go. And we need not fear because the great I am is with us. It's what connects us to the moon and the stars. It's this voice about justice and kindness and humility and love. And the question that each one of us needs to ask, is that voice for me? Or will I let my little 
inferiority complex get in the way of the great purposes of God? Who are you? You're a child of God. And God created you to be a part of God's great plan. And God promises to always, always be with you. Amen.